Tonight's show is brought to you by the Spirit of the Open Road, our supporters on Patreon, Vendetti Optics, and you, our listeners. But throughout Oklahoma, you're going to find chicken fried chicken, chicken fried tater, chicken fried steak, chicken fried. If you can fry it, you can chicken fry it. And it's chicken fried on their chicken fried menu. What is up, all of you wayward souls? Welcome back to the Wayward Stories podcast. Wayward Stories is the podcast where we tell the tales of our adventures and our wanderings and our wanderings. So, what's up, guys? How are things? Yeah, it's been a minute. It's been, what, a month since it dropped? We had a dark week in there. Again, my apologies. Um, Just a word about that. Like, I had to make peace with myself about that um, before I did not record this podcast two weeks ago. Um, listen, man, we've reached a point where this podcast is important to me. Like, I hope you guys know this It's extremely important to me, but it also doesn't pay my bills. And I have a job that does that. And I have a whole lot of hours of school that are hopefully going to provide me with a career at some point that I will actually like and not hate. That's also going to do that. And of course, my daughter is always the number one priority. So unfortunately, sometimes this can happen. And right now what I made peace with is, listen, I'm going to make episodes and I'm going to drop episodes when I can make and drop episodes, but I'm not going to kill myself at this point because I broke a little bit. I'm just going to be straight with you. I broke a little bit. I don't think I realized how much I was carrying and how hard it is to literally wake up at 5:40 and go nonstop, always with a deadline and something that has to be done until midnight every single day with no breaks in between. Freaking my lunch break, y'all, at work. You know what I do on my lunch break? Homework. Come home, do homework, or record a podcast, or do laundry, or get groceries, or, you know, be a dad. So, like, it reached the breaking point. It absolutely did. And I had no motivation, and I was just about done for for a minute. So, so, I had to get some me time, and I decided I wasn't going to make a podcast last time, and I also decided I gave myself permission that... If we don't have time to make a podcast, we're not going to make a podcast and we will do what we have to do. And when time comes up, then we'll make a podcast. So that's how we're going to go forward until I get some kind of semblance of a routine and normalcy back in my life. And I don't know how long that will be Um, on an up note, though, like kicked off a new semester of uh, (laughs) I'm in biology now, evolutionary biology, and it's kind of tough, but it's also fascinating Super fascinating. So it's easier on me because I actually like the material. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But I just wanted to kind of give you guys a little bit of an update and explanation for why we had a dark week. And I felt bad I didn't want to drop another classic. I've done that a couple of times now. And I think it worked in that moment. But those were also two of our better older episodes. And this podcast just ain't that old. Let's be real. Dropping a classic is kind of a punk move anyway. Um, They went over okay, but I just felt like not right about it. So I was like, you know what? I'm just not dropping anything. Um, so anyway, you have my apologies and understand you guys. I love all of you and I love interacting with you guys. It's one of my favorite things. This podcast, I like doing this podcast more than I like doing any of that other crap I do, but this doesn't pay the bills. That's just the bottom line right now. So please understand, um, that, you know, you have that, that this is how it's going to be. You have my apologies. I appreciate each and every one of you. I love all of you guys. You know, and on that note, 
If you want to support a starving artist, you know, patreon.com forward slash wayward stories. Just saying, just saying, you know, a little quick side note there. But anyway, let's get on with tonight. I do apologize for the dark week, but we're going to move on because I do have a good episode. See, this is the other thing. I've got some good material to work with now because a lot's been going on. See, this whole Sherpa collaboration, if you want to see these articles that I've been writing that have been taking up a lot of my extra time, you know, actually getting paid to travel, right? Sherpa.com and then like search bar wayward son. Actually, I don't know if it's forward slash wayward son or not, but if you search bar me, you will find me. I tried it. It'll work. There's some cool articles over there. Anyway, I've got a whole new collab going with them and I got to do some really cool crap and I'm saving one of them, saving one of them to coincide with a drop of that article, probably in about a month. We could talk about that tonight, but that was a super cool trip, but we're going to save that, um, for, for, um, what's the, what's the right word here? I don't know. Maybe there's not no marketing for marketing reasons, because it just makes sense to drop it alongside the article. And then I can link up all the things and it's good for cross, uh, cross exposure across many different platforms. But anyway, so I've got some cool stuff going on tonight. I've got something because we had a Labor Day weekend recently. And as you guys know, it's actually kind of become my tradition on Labor Day and Memorial Day weekends. You get a three day weekend trying to get some kind of a close to home road trip in because, you know, I like to make a big road trip every year, which I've got an awesome one in the works right now. We're talking about something awesome for several, several days out in the desert Southwest over Christmas. But, you know, the details are not settled yet, but we're talking about it. It's going to be cool. Um, but unlike these little middle kind of holidays where you get an extra day, I don't really have the money to go do anything huge on a three day trip. So I try to do something pretty close. So we did something pretty close this last Labor Day weekend and actually only did it in two days. And it fits right into kind of what this podcast has become a way for me to give you guys ideas and ideas and, and ways and thoughts and templates to get your butts off the couch, get out and live your lives. Right. Like I've been thinking about how I really should have thrust this show out there and kind of branded it with the idea of like, this is the travel podcast for normal humans with jobs because everything out there right now is kind of ridiculous. It's kind of like quit your job, travel the world. Don't be, you know, in, shackled to the man. It's like, okay, it's great. But who's paying your bills? How are you buying that $4,000 plane ticket to freaking Greece if you don't have a job? If you just quit and drop everything. Not very realistic for 98% of the public, right? So I try to fill a niche that it has been underserved, I feel, which is some of us have jobs and normal lives and families and things, but we still have that free spirit. How do we get out? And I do. And, you know, it was just like a kind of a natural thought. I was like, well, if I just share how I do it, maybe other people will go, oh, wait, maybe I can do it too. So that's kind of what we do here. You know, the <laughs> the travel podcast for normal humans. Anyway, what we did was I only had actually two days. We had a three-day weekend, but on Saturday, I did a really awesome thing, which is what we're saving for a later drop because that was a freaking awesome trip. And just to drop a little hint of it, let's just say it involves the clickety clack in the romance of the passenger trains of old. So it's super cool. So look for that here in the next month or so. But, um, it only left a Sunday and Monday. And as we set about after we took that big trip and I was cleaning the soot out of my earballs and my eyeballs and my nose balls and all the other balls, um, <laughs> I was like, what are we going to do, man? I want to lay around all weekend and do nothing. What are we going to do? And so 
it came to mind that we had just traveled Route 66, some back in Missouri. You may remember that episode. Tra- um, what was it? Road tripping 66 in the Missouri Ozarks. And it came down all the way towards Joplin. Um, well, 66 runs from Chicago to Santa Monica. Many of you guys know about the lore of 66. Um, so it dawned on us, you know what? There's a whole, you know, there's a lot of 66 left in Oklahoma. I grew up in Oklahoma. Oklahoma's right next door. Maybe we should go drive as much of that as we can. Maybe we'll shoot for Tulsa, maybe Oklahoma City. Let's just see what happens. Um, and that's what we did. And I'm talking spare of the moment. I believe we left the house in Farmington, in WA, about 10 a.m. I think it was almost right on the nose. We decided at like 9.15, it was like, let's do it. And we were throwing crap in bags and we're out the dough. So anyway, that's what we did. We went up to Baxter Springs, Kansas, and we shot down suit. Route 66 in Oklahoma as far as Tulsa. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight is road tripping 66 in Oklahoma's green country through Northeast Oklahoma. Um, and what we're going to do is I'm probably going to, I'm, I'm intending to set this up because I don't think I can make a whole episode out of the trip itself um, and the stops along the way. But I think I can get a half an episode, which you know, half an hour. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up Route 66 for you guys. I'm going to teach you guys. I'm going to educate you guys about a little bit about Route 66 and why it occupies the place in the American zeitgeist and even the global zeitgeist. Really, believe it or not, you'd be amazed at how many people you bump into when you're driving 66 that are from freaking like Barcelona, Spain, all over Europe, people from South America. It's iconic worldwide. Why is that? We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight, too. But before we get there, I want to introduce you guys to some ideas. Many of you may be familiar with this. But a lot of our tourism departments have caught on to this idea of the passport, the state parks passport, the national parks passport. I love these things. They're great ideas because they really fit into, like, Justin's way of seeing the world. Because I'm this weird personality where it's like i got to have a reason for doing something, even if it's a completely arbitrary and contrived reason that really has no bearing on anything whatsoever. I just have to have a reason. If I'm going because I don't have anything else to do, if I'm going just to go, it just, like, I just don't care. I just don't care. I don't know. It's a personality flaw of mine, but I need a reason to do crap. Okay. I just do. Well, these passports are kind of cool because they kind of give you a reason. Like for me at first, I was just like, okay, I want to photograph all these awesome places. And I was getting into photography. So that gave me a little bit of reason. And and then all I was like, you know, wait, I'm going to make this podcast someday. I'm going to make this podcast someday. Back then it was the men who don't fit in um, before it like kind of morphed into wayward stories. And I was like, well, I'm going to start with YouTube first. So I had reasons. I'm like, if I go here, I can film it. I can drop it. I can get it out there. I can start trying to build a, build a brand, build an idea here. Um, that maybe people will cabbage on to. And anyway, but I need to have a reason. Well, these little passports are awesome little reasons. I'm going to show you a handful of the ones that I personally have um, right now and give you, and, and we're going somewhere with this, okay? So just bear with me. Um, for example, this is my National Parks passport. For those of you watching on YouTube, you can see this. Some of you may know what they are. Some of you may not. I'm going to show you a couple of pages of mine on the inside. They've got these open pages for passport cancellations. This is in the Midwest. I see Indiana Dunes, the the Arch in St. Louis, um, the Great Rivers where Missouri and the Mississippi meet. You flip it over and it flips into the Southwest region where we got Fort Smith, um, White Sands in New Mexico. 
Um, what else do we have in here? Some battlefields, Pea Ridge Battlefield. Like, guys, there's way more than just a handful of national parks. We talked about this recently. There's a boatload. But you can see it's really cool. You get your little stamps, you know. Everywhere you go, if it's a national park site for this particular passport, you can stamp it, and it's quote-unquote a passport cancellation. It kind of plays on the idea of an actual passport, but it's a record of the places you've been. And these little stamps, there's something very romantic and iconic, iconic kind of about that idea. I mean, it makes you think of the the traveler's chest, the, the wooden chest of old that people would have carried everywhere on ships and or their luggage where they would have had their stickers all over their luggage of the places they've been. And people would look at them and go, ha, ah, that, that gentleman or gentlewoman has very, very well traveled. You know, it kind of plays on that idea. And it's really cool. But what it does, well, it does a couple of things. One, it gives you a reason to go. Um, if you need a reason, it gives you a reason. You can go collect stamps. You can be like, I want to get all the major national parks, the actual national parks. And then you might be like, look, I've got all the national parks. I want to get all the national monuments, too, because there's a buttload of national monuments. And then you can be like, wait, there's also national battlefields and national historic sites. The National Park Service administers a crap ton of stuff, not just like Yosemite and Yellowstone and the things you know. There's so much more. You can stamp them all in these passport books, and they've got a million different kinds, little bitty compact travel versions like I have to these giant books. Got all this stuff, and you can choose from it. You can freaking customize it and kit it out the way you like it and go chasing these stamps, and it's just a neat way. It gives you a reason to get out and do something, and I super love it because it's like a record of where you've been. But also, when you take these, you can look at them, and it's also a guide to where you can go. Ooh, I never heard of that place. I never heard of that place. I want to go there. I want to go there because all these things are listed in here. Different places you can get the stamps for these books. This is the national level, National Parks Passport. I also have a couple of Arkansas State Pass Parks, State Park Passports. This is the State Park one. And what's funny about this for me is I only got three or four or five places in here stamped in Arkansas State Parks. But that's because I didn't know about these or they weren't doing them yet when... I finally came to understand this because there's about 20 state parks in here that I could stamp because I've been there, but I was there before it was actually um, a thing or a thing that I knew about the state parks passport. So anyway, I'm going to have to redo a whole bunch of parks, which is, you know, it'd be okay with me. I am kind of a weird person. I don't like to do the same things over and over again, but you know what? It'll be worth chasing down some of these. Also of note, I don't think you can do this with Arkansas and I'm sure any state that you live in, has got their own version of this because it's real popular right now. But on the National Parks Passport, they have the option for being able to go online and get like a digital um, a digital cancellation if you need to. And I did that for several because before I knew there was National Parks Passports, guys, I probably saw, well, you know what? By the time I was done printing, cutting, and pasting into this book, I had added like 25 or 26 places that I'd been to that are national parks or national land, you know, like Bureau of Land Management, things like that. Um, and I filled this up a good deal when I realized it's quote unquote, I mean, you can do this unethically if you want, if you want to lie to people, if you want to do some stolen valor crap and like pretend you've been awesome, done awesome things. And so you're an awesome person and well-traveled. Theoretically, it's on the honor system. You can do whatever you want. I'm a weird, very principalistic person. So I was like, I only put in here places I had been. Um, but you can do that with National Parks Pass um, port. You can get on and find some digital cancellations. You can print some out. There's a few websites that have collected them from different years. So I was even able to get them 
from the year I was there in most cases. You know, someone else had stamped it, but I got it for the year. And even a few of them I was able to get in the month that I was there. So that was kind of cool. But you can do that with these. I don't think you can with the state. Arkansas also has the Heritage 50, Arcan 50, Our Legacy, Our Future, Arkansas Historic Preservation Program. This is a passport program. It's much smaller, but it's about um, National Register of Historic Places. And you guys know me. I'm a history nerd. So I've got a few stamps in here from historic places I've been. This is a version from Oklahoma. State Parks Passport. It's right next door. Probably going to need to get one from Missouri. I'm sure they have one. I'll have to look into it because I do quite a bit in Missouri. They're real close. But anyway, I tell you all that, A, because it's great information for you to have, for you to have something to get you outdoors, get you outside, doing a thing. Um, but also because I'm leading to something, which is this. The official Oklahoma Route 66 passport. I bet you every state that Route 66 passes through has one of these we have the Oklahoma version and anyway we only got to have a few stamps because of course we traveled on Sunday mostly and uh, nothing's open on Sunday sidewalks roll up Friday at five o'clock in rural Oklahoma and they don't reopen till Monday you know I don't know maybe noon maybe one or two depends on when they get out of bed but didn't get very many stamps but it was cool to try to chase these down so anyway there is an official passport for route 66 through Oklahoma. And we used this to chase down as many as we could and uh, basically guide us on a journey of exploring Route 66 through Northeast Oklahoma, what we call green country. A lot of people, little known fact for any of you that have never been to Oklahoma, many people have this mistaken idea that Oklahoma is like dust and prairie, you know, dusty prairies and and kind of like the Southwest, it's like like giant tumbleweeds that'll take your life and stuff. And that's true in part of the state. What a lot of people don't know is pretty much all of eastern Oklahoma from north to south is either a mountain range, a river valley, or another mountain range. Eastern Oklahoma is gorgeous. Looks a hell of a lot like northwest Arkansas. Um, really, really gorgeous place with a lot of cool stuff. It's a lot of fun to drive through. Anyway, Route 66 through Oklahoma is Definitely Americana. Small towns everywhere. A lot of neat stuff to see. So we're going to talk about that again, probably in the second half of the episode, which we're getting close to. Got just about enough time to probably talk about the history of 66 to set this guy up for you guys. Because I don't know, have you ever wondered why did 66 become what it is? Why is it such an icon? Why is it in the zeitgeist? Um, and it's not for reasons that you might actually think, you know, like what you remember is the heyday of 66. You remember the heyday of 66. 66 predates that heyday by a butt ton. Okay. And there's a really cool history here. I even learned something today that I found very interesting and links to me right here in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Okay. So anyway, I'm going to tell you the earliest history, one of the earliest predecessors of Route 66. And this is relatively short. Okay. I'm going to style on this a lot because I'm a history nerd, but I promise you it's all going to be interesting things. It's all going to be interesting things. Okay. In 1857, yes, 1857, Congress commissioned Lieutenant Edward Fitzgerald Beale to chart a wagon road following the 35th parallel from Fort Defiance close to New Mexico-Arizona border to the Colorado River. Beale's road established a vital military transportation and communication link between Fort Smith, Arkansas, near the Arkansas River, and the westernmost reaches of the southwest. 
and underwriting the $200,000 expense to establish what Lieutenant Bill felt certain would become the great immigrant road to California, the federal government provided the impetus for the creation of the Transcontinental Railroad and the establishment of Route 66. So that is the earliest basically charted and blazed road that follows what for a huge majority of at least the southwestern portion of Route 66 would become eventually. And the thing that's interesting, $200,000 in 1857, I didn't do like an inflation calculator, but I imagine that's something like $475 trillion. It's got to be like astronomical way up there. Um, but it's also really interesting that it started with Fort Smith, Arkansas traveling westward, which is not ironically where Interstate 40 comes through and goes all the way to where? Bakersfield, essentially Santa Monica, the West Coast. It was one of the first, you know, sort of transcontinental road 66 was went from chicago illinois came down kind of at an angle through missouri hit oklahoma and then hooked a hard right towards the west coast and stayed more or less straight as an arrow all the way to santa monica so anyway the official beginning of route 66 was in 1926 and what route 66 was originally it wasn't what we know it as today. It was literally like a cobbled together group of roads. They basically took roads that were already in place and said, okay, well, this section, this section, this section, this section is all going to be a part of this new federal highway project. And they basically just said, okay, your dirt road is now Route 66. And you need to understand that these roads were crap. I think it was like less than a single percentage. I forget. It was like 3%, 9%. I don't know. It was a very tiny number was even paved. These were dirt wagon trails, y'all. At the beginning, there were dirt wagon, wagon trails. You can remember, there weren't that many cars in the 1920s. Like the Model A, I'm assuming. I don't remember my cars back that far historically. Those things were happening, but it was like one in 5,000 Americans had a car, you know, in that time frame. So that was not the way, that was not the mode of transportation. It was like horse and buggy on these crap roads, but that was the original 66. And interestingly enough, on this little trip to Oklahoma, you will travel and be able to see, get out and touch one of the original paved alignments of Route 66 that actually predates the designation as like a national federal highway. It was one of the original roads that ended up later becoming a part of Route 66. And it's really cool. And we're going to talk about that here after the break. Um, but this this road goes way back, way, way, way back. But in 1926, it became what we know that goes from Chicago to, say, Santa Monica. But again, it was just a cobbled together section of roads. A little bit later, it got a little bit realigned and there was money put into it and started building better versions of the road that became more of what we know today, which is kind of an unbroken, you know, more or less two lane highway most of the way. So why did Route 66 become so famous? It started really with John Steinbeck in the grape in writing the grapes of wrath in 1939 for any of you that haven't read the book the synopsis in a dust uh, in a nutshell is group of like tenement farmers sharecrop farmers find hard times in the dust bowl in the great depression which for all of you non-historians is literally as bad as it can get for everyone that thinks things are bad today like we historians roll our eyes and facepalm when I see someone on social media say, can it really get any worse than this? And I look around and be like, yo, it can't get much better than this compared to the rest of history. But you know what? Whatever. 
education is the enemy of biases <laughs> and um, self-propagating feedback loops that just confirm you of what you want to think. So, you know, if you're not into education, I don't know, whatever. Good for you. Enjoy your life. Um, anyway, it was a bad time and really poor people were suffering hard, especially in the Great Plains where the Dust Bowl happened. What's the Dust Bowl? Okay, we're not going to get into all that, except for it was a huge drought. All the crops dried up because there was no crops to keep the dirt in place. The winds came sweeping down the plains. You may have heard that somewhere, uh, Oklahoma, and everything turned into a giant dust storm. You know, buildings were freaking literally being swallowed up in dust dunes, so to speak. You ever seen a de uh, like a living sand dune that like swallows something? You'll run into that at Indiana Dunes State Park. You can check that out. But sand dunes, essentially, they move over time. They get larger, they grow, they eat things. They were like eating entire houses. That's how big these dust dunes is kind of, that's me calling it that. But that's essentially what it amounts to. Their lives were ruined. They had nothing. And so what they did is they started a great migration to the West Coast because they had heard there's supposed to be jobs out there. Right. And so Route 66 was officially in place, designated in 1926. And it became, as John Steinbeck coined, this is where the term comes from, the Mother Road. And he called it the Road of Flight because these people were fleeing they had taken flight to try to find a way to somewhere there might be a better life. By the way, spoiler alert, I feel like we're outside the like spoiler alert window. This was written in 1939. It was adapted into a movie in the 40s. It it it's ugly. It's harsh. A lot of people die. It's real. You know, it's it's a book that is fictional, but it is based wholly on experience of those who lived through it. And it's brutal. It's brutal. There's no sugarcoating in that book. So just be ready. If you're going into it, it's no sugarcoating. It's life as it was during the depression and the dust bowl. Anyway, it's a great book, but he coined the term and this is where we get the mother road. So anyway, bad times, bad times are what started the lore of Route 66, because that's when it had become some kind of a national savior, at least in the minds of the people who were looking for relief. And interestingly enough, I myself have relatives who lived in Oklahoma, who took that road to California and still live there today. I have a great many cousins and aunties and uncles thrice removed or God knows what that I've never met and probably never will that live right out there around Bakersfield, California from that original Dust Bowl migration. And to me, that is a really interesting, tangible link to my history as a human. Those are people that were like great, great grandparents to me, direct blood. You know, now they're not direct blood. It's twice, three times, four times removed, however all that works. But that's my lineage. That's a part of my life, my my history anyway. And to me, you know, it's not like I don't get all like weepy over it. Like I'm not getting all freaked out about people I never met. But it's super cool. It's meaningful to me. I find that really neat that there's a tie to something that was an iconic moment in American history that my family was tied to. It's kind of interesting because it does give more meaning to me in a way when I travel Route 66 out through the Southwest. I really do kind of start to look around at the landscape and think, 
you know, this is essentially an unchanged landscape. This is what they were seeing. And I start thinking about the con like not the consequences, the circumstances in which they were traveling the road. And it, it's interesting. You can you can time travel a little bit sometimes. If your imagination is vivid enough, you can do a little time traveling. It's a very expanding experience, so to speak. Um, so anyway, that's where it became started to become famous. Now, and I'm going to hustle up just a little bit because we're pushing onto the break and I haven't gotten into why is it what it is in our minds today. But that's what we're about to talk about. Quick history lesson. World War II happened and America came out smelling like roses. Okay, listen to that again. We came out smelling like roses. I know we got a big black eye at Pearl Harbor. I know a lot of people died. A lot of American men gave their lives. But I'm talking economically, globally, we came out smelling like roses. The short version is we amped up productivity. We built factories everywhere. The U.S. government pumped tons of money. You remember Rosie the Riveter, all those things, you know, buy war bonds. That all came from World War II. Okay. Everyone was on board with kicking Hitler's ass. Everyone. And Japan's Yamamoto, like they were like, screw those guys, axis of evil, evil. It doesn't get any worse. I'm on board. I will starve to make sure we beat the crap out of these guys. And so people did. We built factories everywhere. We ramped up production. We were turning out airplanes. That's the main reason we beat Japan in the way we did is we could make like 40 freaking airplanes for every one they could get out. Our production was insane. The reason we came out smelling like roses it's because I don't know, the rest of the industrialized world was flattened in World War II, and we were not. We were untouched. Yeah, there were some shells lobbed at the East Coast, the West Coast. You know, there were submarines off the East Coast. Y- y'all might not know, World War II did come to America, but not in a way that like threatened us even a little bit. They were mostly scare tactics. Um, but we came away. All of Europe, all the industrialized nations of the world were literally raised to the ground by billions and trillions of pounds of bombs. After the war ended, everyone needed crap and no one could make crap except for America. So guess what we did? All of our servicemen and women, because we had service women then too, everyone came home and they went to work in all these factories and they converted these factories from wartime to peacetime production and they started cranking out mass produced products and selling it to everywhere else in the world so that they could rebuild and we got rich and at that time this is where the nuclear family came from this is where a husband, a wife that stays at home, 2.5 children, a dog in the yard and a white picket fence in the suburbs of freaking Detroit or Chicago or somewhere. That's where it came from. Everything we think about, like the good old days in America came from this time because we were rich. And I mean, for the vast majority of America, it, did, it didn't get any better than that. We had the money, we had the jobs and we had for the first time in like American history, we had three you know what? I'll, I'll throw in for funsies, a fourth thing, things available that we had never had at the same time before ever. We had excess of funds because the economy was great. We had an excess of leisure time. Okay. Freaking five day work weeks, weekends off. We started doing like labor days, Memorial days. We started getting all these holidays and we had mobility because at this point, Cars were in mass production and everyone could get one because, again, funds were in excess. 
Oh, and the fourth thing. What is the fourth thing we had? We also had neon signs at that point. That helps with the uh, Route 66 thing. Point is, at that point in history, we had money, we had time, and we had mobility, and everyone was ready to rock and roll because World War II sucked. The Great Depression sucked. Y'all, you got to remember, we're only a decade out from some of these things. When we hit the late 40s, the early 50s, the mid 50s, like the last freaking hat, the beginning of America to that point sucked pretty hard for everyone. Suddenly we have money, we have jobs, we have leisure time, and we've got freedom. We've got mobility and boom, Route 66 was waiting to heed the call because I promise you there is no better promised land than the promised land of California, especially in those days. Beautiful beaches, vineyards, like California to this day is one of the most gorgeous places I've ever seen with my own eyes. Like it's no wonder people could not wait to go out and explore. And also guess what's along route 40, like not route 40, interstate 40, which is parallels route 66, the whole way interstate 40, like was the, the processor it came after Route 66 and replaced it as Fort Lane Interstate Highway says, you know, system with a median. Um, goes right by Meteor Crater, goes by the Grand Canyon, goes by God, you name it. Like I could sit here and name stuff all night long that Route 66 and Interstate 40 drive right by. People were ready to go. They had the time and the money. I mean, most people in America by, you know, per capita, because I will say this when I say this was the golden age of America, that's true, but I would be, it would be unethical and irresponsible of me not to point out it was true for white Americans. It was true for middle-class, middle to upper-class white Americans who believed in the Christian faith. That's who America was good for in that time. And like, Look at me. I am a white American. I'm telling you the truth because I'm a historian and not to throw a wet blanket on this episode because it's meant to be fun. But like I said, it is my ethical duty to point out there's a whole lot of people that would listen to this episode and hear me say 1950s America was the golden age of America and freaking cringe because for a lot of people, it was not the golden age anyway. And that will actually come into play in the second half of the episode because there's a really awesome historic stop on Route 66 we get to talk about tonight. I'm excited about it anyway. Not throwing any more wet blankets. It's just my ethical responsibility to point out. It was a great time for the vast majority of Americans because the vast majority of Americans were that specific demographic. All the others, why do you call them minorities? It's because they are the minority of the population. There's actually reasons for the terminology. Like they weren't having it so hot. They weren't having it so hot. So anyway, moving on. This is the reason Route 66 became the icon that it is to us today, because it's in that period, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, our greatest economic boom time, where literally one person (laughs) could work in a home. God, doesn't that make you yearn for days gone by and pay all the bills and have a little bit money left at the end of the day to take your family out on an adventure. And Route 66 was there to meet the call. It was a single stretch of road that would take you all the way to the West Coast and anywhere you wanted to go in between. And those travelers needed something. They needed places to stay. They needed places to eat. They needed places to poop and pee. They needed places to buy souvenirs. They didn't even know they needed souvenirs. But ah, my friends, American capitalism will step in and let you know that you do need these souvenirs. And I promise you, those kiddos in the back seat 
desperately need those souvenirs. And if you want to make it through the whole road trip without a kid screaming behind you, those souvenirs do a great job of keeping them busy. So there's always, always someone there to meet those needs. Anyway, this is when the really, really culturally inappropriate like use of like Native American symbology came in when we start throwing up concrete teepees. We got this giant gaudy blue well in Catoosa and here in Oklahoma, we get to talk about in a minute. We've got old diners. We have old gas stations. We have all of the things that we know route 66 for today, neon signs, all of those things were there. And I think that is the time frame that most people today associate route 66 with and what they want to go and they want to try to maybe relive a little bit. And you can relive it in some of these towns that have embraced it and brought it back. But a lot of it is there's a bittersweetness to it. There's a bit of melancholy to it because you go into some of these small, you know, areas, these, these rural areas, you're out in the middle of nowhere, you're on an old stretch, like almost a desolate, deserted stretch of 66. And you're passing gutted, abandoned buildings that were clearly a truck stop, clearly a diner, clearly a souvenir shop. And some of them, and I don't know, I'm sure someone owns them and I'm sure it's trespassing, but there are no fences. There's nothing. And you can walk around all through them and people do because they're graffitied all over the place. But there's a certain amount of exploration you can do in some of these old buildings that, you know, 50 years ago were thriving, bustling centers of a freaking commerce filled with families and kids running in and getting snacks and literally glass Cokes, you know, Cokes in a glass bottle. And God, who knows what's, what's some freaking candy that was famous. And I'm mean, laffy taffy. I don't know. Ready to go hopped up and refueling on their way to the American Southwest, which is beautiful in its own right. And you stand in those places and you can almost feel that energy that once filled those walls, but it's also obvious that that energy is gone. And it's a very liminal space. It's somewhere in between here and there that no longer exists. And it really, really, it's, it's good for the soul in a way. It's melancholy. It's bittersweet. It makes you think about things. And that's part of the expansion that travel offers you. Makes you think, gives you some insight into things sometimes. It's really, really cool. But that is the time frame that we associate Route 66 with and why it's so iconic today. And because so many of us have become, as we've gotten older and our older generations than us have even gotten older, they start longing. Now, this is a natural thing psychologically. It's not that those were necessarily better times. It's that it always seems like the times before were better times. You can read up on it. There's psychological studies. It's a human thing to do that. It's a very defensive mechanism kind of thing. Um, But so we have that going for us, but also things have gotten, the rat race has truly gotten out of control and people do long for a simpler time. They remember their parents taking them on road trips when mom and dad and the dog taking Fido out to the Grand Canyon. They long for that and a way to go back and reminisce is to go back and see the way it was. And with 66, you have that, you have a chance to see some of those things and remember the way it was. And that's the allure. That is the beauty. That is the attraction of Route 66 today. Anyway, we're going to talk about another small stretch of it after the break. We should get to the break because, God, I'm way past time. Guess what? doesn't matter. I'm making this episode tonight. 
And I'm happy to be sitting here talking to you guys for a change. Anyway, we're going to go to break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about, well, our little road trip from Baxter Springs, Kansas to Tulsa, Oklahoma. You guys stick around. What is up, all of you wayward souls? I want to tell you guys about our newest sponsor, Bendetti Optics a brand based right here in the good old U.S. of A., Portland, Oregon, to be exact. And I bought my first pair of Bendetti sunglasses about a year and a half ago and fell in love with them so much so that I got online and ordered a couple more pair. And when I did, there was a small shipping snafu, an order fulfillment snafu, and I got on the phone, gave them a call, and guess what? I get a call back from who? One of the big men themselves right there in Portland, from the top of the chain, have a great conversation, and we end up starting this great relationship we have. They more than made right, the little snafu that occurred, and I am now a huge proponent of them because I can tell you from personal experience, they are good people, and they are trying to compete with the big boys out there coming in at a price point of about $40, but using the exact same frame material, TR90, and the same polarization process as the big guys. As it turns out, something I think we are already probably knew in our hearts, when you buy big name sunglasses, you're buying a big name. Not necessarily any more quality than you can get somewhere else, like at Bendetti Optics. They have 29 different styles. They have multiple polarization options for whatever climate you happen to live in. And they back it up with like this lifetime guarantee that if your dog eats your sunglasses, it doesn't matter how you break them. Send it back in with a check to cover shipping and handling and you're golden. You got a new pair on the way. These guys are truly trying to do it right. And they have this philosophy that a really good pair of sunglasses should not cost you so much that you are afraid to wear them. And I think all of us outdoorsmen can relate to that. So if you guys, like me, are very practical and like to get more bang for your buck and wear some great-looking sunglasses, check out BendettiOptics.com. That's B-E-N-D-E-T-T-I, Optics.com. Or you can go over to Instagram slash BendettiOptics. And that I highly suggest, whether you buy a pair or not, just to check out the cutest pupper you'll ever see modeling sunglasses. Once again, that's BendettiOptics.com. And make sure and let them know Wayward Stories sent you. And welcome back. Thank you guys for sticking around through our sponsor break. Um, so let's get right into it. Let's get into our trip. First of all, I'm going to show you guys a couple of guides here if you're watching on YouTube. And then I will describe it to you on Facebook or um, Facebook. God, I was just that, that's something that's going to come up here in just a minute. So my brain was there. Sorry. Um, but these are Route 66 travel guides through Oklahoma. There's a couple of them. This one is the Oklahoma Route 66 Association 2022-2023 Trip Guide. Looks like this for any of you watching on YouTube. For the rest of you, you can just Google those words. You'll find it, and you'll find it anywhere you go to drive Route 66 in Oklahoma at one of the places. The other is this, which you can order from the uh, state of Oklahoma's website from their tourism department. This one is awesome. The lights, it's, it's glossy, so the lights are reflecting on it. Ooh, there we go. This is the Route 66 travel guide um, as released by Oklahoma State Tourism. And this has got a lot of cool stuff in it. This is a course geared towards this particular one, um, making you spend money and buy things. And it tells you all about things that you can buy in those towns as you go through them. But you can also follow it. And there's also lots of good information in the beginning, the end. It's kind of as you go through it. It's a cool guide to have. But what we're going to do, this is the format we're going to follow because this is the easiest thing to do. I'm going to go through the Route 66 Association's trip guide for the small towns we went through. 
into Tulsa or to Tulsa. We're not going to read everything in Tulsa, but I'm going to read to you what they have to say about that town. Then I'll tell you what we did in that town, um, which in a lot of the t- cases wasn't much because they're tiny towns. Um, but I think that's the most logical way to go because even though we didn't get to do everything because we went on a Sunday and a lot of this stuff was closed, it will also give you an idea of whenever you do travel things that you can do. Um, but I came across something. We're going to talk about this. This will be like a little bit of quote unquote, totally related to route 66 and Oklahoma housekeeping in the second half of the episode, but it's a thing that I wanted to work in, but it's not in the section of 66 we traveled. So it doesn't have like a natural insertion point. So I'm just going to tell you about it because I came across it and I'm totally going to support this myself. I just want to tell you guys about it. So this is, I came across Oklahoma has a very unique and pretty rare that it's still standing building that catered. This touches on what I was talking about back in the first half about the golden era of America being good for like a certain group of people. This touches on the people that it wasn't so good to and how route 66 played into their experience. And this is a filling station near Luther, Oklahoma from the mid 1910s through the 1950s, the three filling station and any of you three family members out there, if you're listening to this and I am mispronouncing your last name, you have my deepest apologies because I couldn't find anything that, that like kind of led on to the pronunciation. It's spelled T H R E A T T. It could be threat. It's like threat with an extra T, but I kind of doubt it's pronounced that way. feels like it's probably threat. So that's how I'm going to say it. If I'm wrong, you guys feel free to get in touch with me and correct me. Anyway, from the 1910s through the mid or through the 1950s, the Threat filling station was a popular roadside stop for locals and travelers alike. The station was one of a very few places on Route 66 where people of color were welcome during an age when African-American children setting out on trips asked their parents why they needed to carry so much food and water as well as toilet paper and empty jars. Black adults growing up along Route 66 in Chicago, for example, just, quote, knew which stretches they weren't allowed to use, end quote. The National Park Service listed the Threat Filling Station on the National Register of Historic Places in 1995, and in 2018 and 2021, the NPS Route 66 Corridor Preservation Program awarded the owners a grant to assist with preservation efforts. In 2021, the National Trust for Historic Places listed the Threat Station among America's 11 most endangered places to raise awareness about the history, significance, and threats to the property. The NTHP also awarded a grant to support preservation efforts through the African-American Cultural Heritage Action Fund. The Threat Filling Station is at the intersection of Historic Route 66 and North Potawatomi Road in Luther, Oklahoma. It is currently closed to the public and may be viewed from the road. This is a really culturally significant place because at the time, the Route 66 was booming. For everyone else, it was a tough road. It was a tough road to hoe, as my mom used to say, for people of color. And there were places like this that catered specifically to African-Americans. And I'm sure anyone of any other race that wanted to stop, I'm sure there were Hispanics and any other number of people. And they were there as one of the few places that they could stop, be welcome, and buy things they need to carry on. That's really super cool. That station still stands. There is a, a trust in place where these people are trying to put it back together and make it, um, from what I can understand, a place that can be visited, be restored. And anyway, they do, to that end, 
have a GoFundMe and they have a lot of things going in that order. And so I'm going to give this to you real quick. You can go on the web and go to threatfillingstation.org. Again, T-H-R-E-A-T-T, fillingstation.org. Or you can go to facebook.com and type in the same thing, Threat filling station and from there facebook's probably the better one as i looked at it because they have the gofundme's linked right there and there's also up-to-date information about what's going on they like last week or the week before no it was last week i would have loved to have gone to it and i didn't know about it till today but last week the oklahoma um, historical society had a uh, some kind of a luncheon midweek that had to do with um i guess park efforts or efforts going forward to bring it up to um standards to get it remodeled like basically the restoration of this place for the preservation of this place so if you guys are the philanthropic kind you know hop on facebook give them a follow and maybe throw them a dollar or two like i know i will even if it's just like five dollar bill you know it's times are tough we ain't got a lot of money but i'm gonna get on there because i think that's awesome I think that's awesome. And even if it's just almost symbolic, if nothing else, I'm going to throw $5 their way. So anyway, that's a really cool story that needs to be told about Route 66. And I support 100% people trying to preserve it in order to keep telling that story. Anyway, let's get on to our trip through Oklahoma's green country on Route 66. So it started not in Oklahoma. (laughs) started in Baxter Springs, Kansas, because we'd basically driven 66 from essentially, what was it? Fort Leonard Wood in Missouri on our last trip back on, actually, I think it was Memorial Day. This was Labor Day, Memorial Day. We did the part in Missouri um, from, I believe, Fort Leonard Wood south to just beyond Joplin. So this was kind of like picking up where we left off. There might've been a few mile stretch in between that we didn't hit, but Baxter Springs, Kansas, pretty neat. They have a Route 66, um, a museum and kind of a welcome center of a sort that was closed because it was Sunday. Um, but it was a cool place. It was cool to get pictures of it's, it's, I believe one of the old filling station service stations and it had the old gas pumps out front. So it was a great photo op took that photo and, uh, it's really, really cool picture to get. And there's a couple of little things in Baxter Springs to check out, but the impetus of our story, the, or no, 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 sorry, wrong word. The preponderance of our story is in Oklahoma. And that's what we're going to focus on. But we started in Baxter Springs, Kansas, which we also, while we were there, met a couple of gentlemen who were doing Route 66 from Chicago to Santa Monica. Like they kept calling it like a truncated kind of kind of trip. They're like, well, you obviously can't stop at everything because like you'd take you forever. Like, bro, if you stopped at everything, it would literally take you freaking years. Like, I get it. Your trip wasn't really that truncated, fellas. Like just driving it alone and stopping at the you know more notable places along the way i think that's how anyone's going to take that trip so you guys are doing great you're it's awesome that you're taking it from chicago the starting point all the way to the end point their name was steve and kyle steve and kyle super cool guys enjoyed talking to them while we were there in baxter springs and I even followed them on instagram and i'm just gonna say guys you didn't keep up with your instagram post but anyway if any of you guys want to follow them on instagram Give them a follow because maybe they'll go ahead and put all those pictures out there eventually. It is RT66 underscore with underscore style, which is really clever. I like it. Steve and Kyle style. Get it? Get it? Uh, uh. Anyway, it's clever. They were super cool guys. Enjoyed talking to them. You gentlemen, have you ever listened to this episode? It was a pleasure to meet you, and I hope that your trip 
went off without a hitch and you enjoyed the heck out of it because it's a really cool hitch. And I hope that you hit that stretch out there from Kingman to Needles that I told you about. Because for me, that's just like one of the most amazing stretches of 66, original 66 you can ever hit. Anyway, it was cool to meet you guys. But we met those guys, which again, that's part of my favorite part, y'all, about getting out there on the road is meeting the people, like traveling. The freedom of the open road is freeing to the soul, but it's also a connective experience because you get to meet people. You get to talk to people from different walks of life. You get to see things from different perspectives. You learn new things. You meet people and it, it's it's horizon expanding in a way, just little bits at a time. I'm not trying to be over dramatic, but you get little bits and pieces and it's like this giant mosaic you get to put together. I love traveling. I love road trips and I don't like flying at all, but I will say like, even if it's not even about, I mean, whether if you like to fly, you don't know what you're missing beneath you as you fly over there. This freaking country is dotted. This landscape is dotted at every turn with things you've never even heard of that are awesome to see and experience and tens of thousands of people that you will meet over the course of your travels that make your life just a little bit better. It's really super cool. But anyway, let's get on to our trip. So after you leave Baxter Springs, you roll into Oklahoma and really the first thing you pop into is Quapaw, Oklahoma. According to the travel guide, Quapaw is named for the Quapaw Indians who were moved from Arkansas to Oklahoma then known as the Indian Territory. The name is derived from Ugapka, I believe, a tribal term for downstream people. About 100 years ago, the town became a part of the tri-state mining area. The northeast corner of Oklahoma, the southeast corner of Kansas, and the southwest corner of Missouri were huge producers of lead and zinc. In 1926, Route 66 was officially established. Peak production was reached at 423,000 tons of recoverable zinc and 912,000 tons of lead were produced. The ore was valued at over $55 million. So what's going on in Quapaw? Well, there's colorful murals on the buildings. They are starting to fade. Um, There's Spring River State Park. That's about five miles south on Highway 137. And there's not much else. I mean, honestly, it's one of those small towns. And it's one of the parts of the beauty of Route 66 is all of these little dried up towns with little vestiges, some many of them abandoned of what Route 66 once was. And I will say... When you look at Quapaw in the uh, tourism's guide, they do have the Dallas Dariet. Since 1969, the folks at this little burger joint have been keeping locals and the Mother Road travelers fed. So that's that's a somewhat era specific. It's getting a little late from the heyday. Well, not really. 69. This ran into the 80s. So you got the Dallas Dariet, and then you also have the Quapaw Tribal Museum, and this is where you can learn about the rich history of the Quapaw tribe, and they have. Artifacts that include pottery, traditional clothing, um, and old photos of these people. You can also find the anchor from the USS Quapaw, a Navy tug ship that saw action in World War II, the Korean War, and Vietnam. So basically, Quapaw is a pretty small place. Not much going on there. It's probably something, unless you need lunch at the Dallas Dariet, that you're going to pass right through. But it's got that vibe. It is There are vestiges, the remnants of what was once Route 66 there. And that's, to me, part of the biggest allure of Route 66. The things that have been restored and maintained are kind of awesome. But to me, I don't know, maybe it is that melancholy side of me loves, and maybe the urbex side of me that loves the abandoned things. They're super, super cool. Um, 
So from Quapon, you go through commerce. And to be really honest, I didn't even know we went through commerce. So I'm not sure what all's going on in commerce. I'll give you what the guide says. And that's about all I'm going to be able to have for you here for commerce. They do have, well, I'll tell you this from the travel guide. They have Allen's Conoco filling station. And it's been around since the mother road was newly paved. Holy crap. The Dairy King stopped by this cottage style former gas station for a burger, soft serve ice cream, and handmade Route 66 cookies. So that's pretty fancy. And Mickey Mantle's boyhood home and his statue. Any of you are baseball fans, you've heard of Mickey Mantle, and he was from Commerce, Oklahoma. Next up is Miami. Yes, Miami. Not Miami. Miami. And I'm from Oklahoma. I have done, well, I did two episodes of On the Fringe when we used to shoot TV shows in Miami. And I am here to assure you, we even pissed off the people of Miami when we were able to recreate their extremely famous tri-state or hornet spook light as it's being seen today with a car multiple times. Scientific method won that day, but on the fringe as a production crew lost. <laughs> I assure you, because the people did not like us saying, we actually know exactly what that spook light is. We can show you here. We filmed ourselves doing it several times in a row. It didn't go over so well, but I assure you, I assure you, it is Miami, and also people of Miami and Quapaw and Hornet, the Hornet spook light. Fear not. I'm not saying that your spook light does not exist because I know about the stories. I'm a historian. I know they go all the way back, way back before the car. I'm just saying that the one everyone's seeing today down that road is reproducible by driving your vehicle down that road. Or having someone drive your vehicle down that road towards you. And there's a certain amount of time that I don't remember now. I could go back and watch the episode and tell you. But that light will show up exactly as described. And you can do it over and over and over and over again. I'm just saying. That light, I'm sorry. We were able to figure out what that one was. The light that was there before the road, can't tell you. Probably real. I'm with it 100%. I like woo-woo stuff. I hope it's real. So please. Don't be so mad at us on the fringe boys. Anyway, in Miami, Miami's actually a pretty good sized little town. They've got quite a bit of stuff. Like, let's start with the tourism guide just so you have an idea. They have Wayland's Cuckoo Burger. Yes, Cuckoo Burger with a massive neon sign, which is great for photography. Guys, it would be great at night. We were there in the middle of the day, but that sign would be killer at night. It's a really, really classic. Really classic 60s, 70s-ish vibe. It's, it's a beautiful sign. With a massive neon sign, Cuckoo Clock-inspired building and bird mascot bedecked in a chef's hat, this burger joint is a must-see in Miami. Made-to-order burgers, crispy fried pickle spears, cherry limeades make the last surviving Cuckoo Burger worth a stop in a mill. The rest of the chain went extinct. Ooh, I love that turn of phrase. It went extinct in the late 1960s. Then you have the Coleman Theater. Beautiful. That's what they used to call it. Maybe they stu still do. We got to tour the Coleman Theater Beautiful when we were there with On the Fringe, and they even gave us an all-access tour into the bowels to where the old boiler was. 
you know, to look for spookies. And also they showed us and gave us a little bit of insight into the tunnel system that runs underneath Miami, Oklahoma and connects many of the downtown buildings to the Coleman Theater Beautiful. And as you might expect, has a great deal of legends and folklore attached to it about, you know, some more sordid things, maybe some, uh, maybe the world's oldest profession, maybe, maybe some, uh, prohibition era, you know, illegal whiskey bootlegging, maybe a little bit of that, but they have this really famous Wurlitzer organ. Older people will know what that is and cultured people will know what that is, but most people aren't going to know what that is. The average Joe doesn't really know what a Wurlitzer organ is. Well, you probably know what it is and have heard one and have seen one. You just didn't know it was called that. But anyway, they have a a Wurlitzer organ that's like original to the property. They still have it. It still plays and they still use it. So the Coleman Theater, super cool to check out. We didn't on this trip because they were closed because it was Sunday, but I got to do it many years ago and the Coleman Theater is awesome. It really is a cool place. They also have the Dobson Museum and Memorial Center and stretches of the original Ribbon Road. And we get to talk about the Ribbon Road now, which is what I'm excited about this. So the Ribbon Road, one of the original stretches of Route 66, nine feet wide, which is not much more than the width of a car. You may not think your car is nine feet wide. It's not nine feet wide, but your car is pretty darn wide. Nine feet wide is just about the width of a car. And it's called the Ribbon Road or the Sidewalk Highway. And it is on the, or listed as an Oklahoma National Historic Landmark. And that, what we had, there's two sections. And those two sections, um, known as the Hidewalk, Sidewalk Highway, the Ribbon Road, They are from 1922. They are older than Route 66. They were one of those roads that was cobbled into the original alignment of Route 66. And it travels from Miami to Narcissa and Narcissa to Afton. And it may be Narcissa, but I believe it's probably Narcissa to Afton. And as Jess said, that's where all the narcissists live is in Narcissa. And it made me laugh. So I've included it here for you. I'm assuming all of you Narcissans are not narcissists. It was just a joke chill out. Um, but anyway, there are sections of this is basically a dirt road because that's like what we do in Oklahoma and Arkansas when a, a paved road just cannot be patched up anymore with asphalt in the holes. Cause like guys, do you, some of y'all may have never seen things like this. Lord have mercy. We have holes and roads in the middle of nowhere that are holes on top of holes on top of holes that have been patched on top of patched and where there's like literally none of the original asphalt left. And I mean, you want to talk about rough on your car. And so when they kind of reach that point, a lot of times they just throw a bunch of gravel on it and turn it into a gravel road and let basically nature take its course and take the road back into a dirt road. It's kind of what's happened with this section of ribbon road, except there are some really solid little sections of it still available and visible that you can get pictures of. You can get out and touch it with your fingers and your hands. And there's even a little monument at um, one of the intersections you can find. But for any of you that might undertake this, I wrote down for your use what these roads are. Or the one we drove. We, wrote, we drove one section of it, and that was from Miami to, I believe, would be Narcissa. And it was South 540 Road, S540 Road. And then it's also East 140 Road. It turns and becomes E140 Road. Nine feet wide, pavement in the middle, and you can even see the white curbs on either side. And I believe that's poured concrete. It's super cool, y'all. When you go there and you see it yourself, 
I mean, like you're looking at something that's literally 101 years old this year. This is recording in 2023. This thing was built in 1922, is at least what it says. This is when it's from. It's a 101-year-old paved road that you're driving on, that the earliest people who ever drove on Route 66 drove on that section of road. That is significant. That's culturally significant. That's very interesting. Um, and you can do that. And that's right outside of Miami when you head south. You just have to get on the maps, Google Maps, and also the maps you have in your papers, like that you get from one of these welcome centers to help you follow Route 66. Not super easy to find. Again, I just gave you the modern roads that it is. Write this down if you want to take this trip. South 540 Road out of Miami. It goes straight south, and then at a point, it turns to the west and becomes East 140 Road. And anyway, that is between Miami and Narcissa. And then there's another like three-mile stretch of it, which is from Narcissa to Afton. So anyway, that's the original Ribbon Road, and that's super cool. So from there, you end up in, let's see, you go... So basically, Afton, Narcissa, there wasn't much in Narcissa, as I recall. Um, let's see. Yeah, it kind of skips over Afton in both books. Or no, not Afton, Narcissa. It goes on to Afton. There's not much going on in Narcissa, apparently, except for the narcissist. Um... Afton has nowhere on Route 66 barbecue, and apparently it's really good. We actually saw reviews of it, and I've seen it pop up in several places. Apparently that's really good. We did not eat there because we actually ate Miami. Actually, I forgot to tell you, we ate at a place called the Otter Cove in Miami. Let me make sure. Otter Cove. Yep, Otter Cove. And it was good food. Y'all, they had some of the best onion rings I've ever had. It was a good burger. Actually, I think I had a chicken sandwich. It was a good chicken sandwich, good onion rings, and a good vibe. I mean, they lean into it. Y'all, they lean into the Route 66 thing, and they have a great drive-under sign, like a gateway to Route 66, gateway to Oklahoma's Route 66 in Miami, and it is a super nice sign. They put money into this. Some of these larger communities, they realize the economic boom that it can be today for basically nostalgia tourism. And they've leaned into it. Miami's leaned into it. And they've got a lot of neat things. And if you go on a day that's not Sunday, then you can actually probably visit most of them. But they have a great photo opportunity with their sign. And you can actually park at the Otter's Cove and eat lunch there or dinner or whatever and get your picture of that sign because it's literally right out the front door of Otter Cove. And I did like a super touristy thing and waited until the light turned and all the cars cleared and I ran out in the middle of the road and got like a low shot looking up at the sign right in the center of all the lanes. You know, probably shouldn't have done that, but you know what? I did it and I didn't get run over and whatever. It was a great picture and I love it a lot. Um, so anyway, that's the kind of things going on in Miami, then you take the ribbon road out and you end up in Afton and Afton has the nowhere on route 66 bar barbecue. Daryl Starbird's Nat Starbird's national rod and custom car hall of fame museum. So if you're a car person, which a lot of people are, who's doing route 60, who are doing route 66, they have more than 50 cars, including many of Starbird's designs along with other exotic vehicles and memorabilia. Futuristic styles, bubble top roofs, and bright colors are the hallmarks of these custom cars created by Daryl Starbird, who started designing in the 1950s. So that sounds super cool. 
Anyway, so there's Afton. Again, we're going through here. We're rolling tonight because we're trying to crunch all this into an episode of the podcast. And these are small towns. They're small towns with not a lot in them. But the things they have where they're leaning into 66, kind of the whole goal here is to show you there's plenty for you to explore. And there's kind of a little bit of something for everyone. A lot of Route 66ers are car heads or they're bikers or they're something that has to do their motor heads in a way. And I promise you, you were being catered to on Route 66. You're not going to lack for finding what you want to find when it comes to cars and bikes and custom kits and rods and all these different things. Um, but we're going to keep moving on here. So next up from Afton, when you head out on 66, you head into Vanita. Vanita has just actually a scant few things. And we traveled 66 all the way through Vanita, and it was a little bit on the dry side, to be honest. Of course, it was closed. Everything was closed. There's a lot of great old signs. There's a lot of great old buildings that it's kind of fun. That's kind of one of the fun games you can play as you go along is you can pick out buildings that are now abandoned and you can go, oh, that was one. That was totally one. Look at the architecture. Look at the design of that. Look at ooh the paint on the side. Look at what that used to say. It's kind of neat trying to identify some of the buildings that have been abandoned and you can kind of tell which ones are era 66 and that's pretty cool and there was a lot of that in Vanita but Vanita also has Clanton's Cafe I assure you there's plenty of southern fried goodness southern fried heart attacks for you to consume all throughout Oklahoma probably Missouri as well like there's a lot of southern cooking you get out into west Texas um or Texas panhandle not west Texas heading to New Mexico you start getting into some great Tex-Mex but throughout Oklahoma you're gonna find chicken fried chicken chicken fried taters chicken fried steak chicken fried if you can fry it you can chicken fry it and it's chicken fried on their chicken fried menu I assure you and it's glorious and it will stop your heart if you consume too much of it at one time. But anyway, we go into Vanita and you get Clanton's Cafe, but they also have the Eastern Trails Museum, which was closed because it was Sunday. But it was a really, really um, cool trip going through Vanita. And this Eastern Trails Museum looks really, really awesome. Its exhibits contain... The street scenes exhibit contains vintage photos and memorabilia from the Mother Road's heyday. They also have vintage saddles, weapons, and phonographs, which are among the museum's many treasures. It's It looks like it's a really cool place, and I think it'd be awesome to check out. And I will throw in there, this is not Route 66 vintage. This has nothing to do with Route 66, but it's in Vanita, and it's a freaking destination for many young Oklahoma teenagers from throughout the state and probably surrounding states for all I know that everyone must go and do. And if you were traveling 66 through Vanita, you need to find this and you just need to go see it because it is a McDonald's unlike any you will ever see because it is over a turnpike. You heard that correctly. The McDonald's in Vanita is a truck stop and a McDonald's and a couple of other things with kind of a skyway over I believe it's Interstate 44. Maybe the I think it's the Will Rogers Turnpike. Over the Turnpike. So you go over and you order your little Happy Meal. Get your little Happy Meal toy. And you walk over and plop down in a seat next to a window and watch huge trucks and cars fly underneath you at 75 miles an hour. And it is really kind of a neat concept. I don't know how long it's been there, but it was there when I was a teenager 25 years ago. And uh, we went in, Jess and I went in and checked it out. We went ahead and went and checked it out. Because um, I wanted to show her. Because even though she grew up in Northeast Oklahoma, she had never been to it, um, but we had to go see it. It had been years since I had been there. But any of you out there traveling across the country 
if you are focused on 66, say you're coming from out of the country and you're focused on 66, you would probably miss this because it's not a part of Route 66, but it's like a half a mile from 66 in Vanita. Go to the McDonald's, set over the interstate. And I mean, I'm not saying it's like a life changing experience. It's just different. It's kind of weird. It's neat. This is, you're not ever going to run into anything quite like that, I think, anywhere else, at least at McDonald's. Probably people have done similar things somewhere, but I've never seen them. So anyway, moving on, you go through several more places like Chelsea. And in Chelsea, you can see the Prior Creek Bridge, which we did stop and photograph. It's really neat. It's really cool. 123 foot steel truss bridge was part of the original Route 66 alignment. It carried Mother Road traffic from 1926 to 1932. It's the only unaltered bridge with its particular structure known as the Pratt through truss design left in Oklahoma. That's actually pretty significant. Um, and it's no longer open to traffic, but you can walk across it. That's actually incorrect. You can drive right the hell across it as everyone there was doing. And we also did ourselves. So this must be a little dated or the locals do what sometimes locals do where they like move the barricades and maybe throw them in the Creek. And you don't even know they were ever there. Like I've seen that happen. Small town, rural Oklahoma. I've seen that happen many times. Um, so maybe we weren't supposed to drive across it. The official Oklahoma tourism guy says it's not open to traffic, but it was very much open to traffic a week ago, two weeks ago. But it is a really cool picture um, to get. It's it's literally a hundred freaking year old bridge that Route 66 traffic crossed. You go right through it if you want to. Also, you can go to the Route 66 pedestrian underpass mural. Which is, that's about the only thing, to be honest with you guys, that's in Chelsea. And it, and it is just an underpass. Someone built like a, you know, an underpass under the, it's a pedestrian underpass across Route 66. And they put some really awesome murals inside that kind of celebrate the local history in Route 66. But, and this is brilliant, this is brilliant. They painted one wall of this little tunnel thing completely white for the sole purpose of protecting the mural on the other side. Because they said, you holes want to draw all over everything there's a blank canvas right behind you and they encourage people writing their names on that wall and signing their names and putting on where you're from and all that and it's cool because you can read through all these names and see people from all over the world and the year that they went through there which most of them are pretty current this is a fresh mural um, but that was really cool i'm glad we stopped and did that i definitely put up there Listen to the Wayward Stories podcast along one of the pipes, you know, so maybe we can get some Route 66 listeners. I thought that was a pretty cool idea. But, you know, bring your Sharpies. Bring your Sharpies because you are actually encouraged to graffiti in there. Just graffiti on the white wall and leave their beautiful murals alone. Also, one other thing that's super cool is Ed Galloway's Totem Pole Park. And this is a cool story because a lot of times people were appropriating culture, Native American culture, and in a way it was mocking them. This could be taken that way, but this is not what was happening there. With its colorful 90-foot carved concrete totem pole and a museum of handmade fiddles, this park is one of Oklahoma's quirkiest Route 66 attractions, and it's located just a few miles off of the Mother Road. Folk artist Ed Galloway started building the totem poles in 1937 as a tribute to Native American Indians. Make sure to get an up-close look at the incredible detail on it and the smaller totems throughout the park. And I will just make the anthropologist note here of totems are more of a Northwestern tribes thing, like the Pacific Northwest. They were not so much a Southwestern or Plains tribes thing, but 
they're definitely a Native American thing. And this dude, from everything I can read up on him, he actually, and any of you out there that have information I may not be privy to, if he was a dirtbag, you know, do kind of let me know, correct me, mywaywardstory at gmail.com. But from everything I could find, this was actually a pretty altruistic attempt. He was sad by watching their cultures disappear. And he wanted to pay tribute to them. And he like apparently had time on his hands and he was an artist and he started sculpting these ginormous concrete totems with all kinds of Native American imagery. I did not look into, take the time to look into whether he did it all right. If he got the right imagery, meaning the right thing, I didn't check that out. But I do think he seemed like a pretty good dude, an altruistic guy who was trying to pay tribute to a people that were disappearing before his eyes and he didn't like it. And he wanted to, to make a memorial of a sort, pay a tribute to them. And if that's bad information, you guys, please let me know. I'm always open to being corrected from what I could find at a cursory glance. He seemed like a pretty solid dude, but anyway, it's something cool to check out around along route 66 in Claremore. You can find the J.M. Davis Arms and Historical Museum, the Hammett House Restaurant, the Will Rogers Memorial Museum. You may well be aware that Will Rogers is a native son of Oklahoma and a pretty darn famous guy, pretty well-liked guy. You also have the Belvedere Mansion, the Swan Brothers Dairy Farm, Route 66 Nuthouse, and those are all along the way in Claremore. And again, we kind of blew through Claremore. Um, everything was closed, not a lot going on, but a lot of good stuff to see in Claremore. Again, we're in small town, rural Oklahoma. This is really kind of the nuts and bolts of a Route 66 journey um, anywhere in the country. Like there's going to be places like we're about to see in Tulsa where it's more hyped, it's better looking, it's it's beautiful. But it just lacks that. It's got the nostalgia, but it lacks the kind of the the dirtiness of the reality of the fact that Route 66 is a bygone era. And all these little small towns, this is where you see and can really see how it was a boon at a time where a small community popped up and they catered to all these travelers. And then when it was bypassed by Interstate 40, when all of the interstates started to come into the existence later after World War II, um, they kind of started to dry up and you have all these like kind of derelict shells of things that once were, and there's, there's a certain gallows beauty in that. And that's what you're going to find along all the, along the way here in a lot of places. Then you hit Katusa and the main thing we're going to talk about in Katusa, there's a handful of little things you can do, but we're going to talk about the blue well. There is a giant blue well and Oklahoma is proud as heck of that blue well for its, its spot. In Route 66 lore, you can't miss it. It's a big A blue well. And it is a gaudy eyesore that has been there in this pond. A concrete well, a blue concrete well that's been in this pond for as long as I can remember. I don't even know. You know what? Let me see if it even says. Let me see if it even says when it was built. Okay, yeah, and this is about right, because it looks like this. It's an 80-foot-long concrete well, and it appeared in a pond along Route 66 in the early 1970s. It quickly, quickly drew visitors who appreciated its toothy grin in the attached swimming hole. Today, that friendly blue face is still a welcome sight, although you can't swim for the these days. Make time for a stop for a selfie and a picnic. And it looks like when we were there, they actually seemed to have like a little gift shop and maybe an information center right there attached to it, which was, of course, closed because it was Sunday. 
Um, but anyway, I need you to understand. I say it's a gaudy eyesore in good nature because it is. It's gaudy as heck. It is. It looks like shag carpet. That's when it was built. The days of shag carpet. It is dated as heck, but that's the beauty of it. It is really cool because it is from that era and it is a direct link and callback to that time. It is its own thing, y'all, and you need to see it. The Blue Well, it is iconic in Oklahoma and that is the beauty of it. Like I said, I'll call a spade a spade. It is what it is, but it's neat to get a picture of. You can even walk out on it. You can walk right into the well's mouth. You can go pretend you're Jonah if you want to. If you want to go play Jonah in the well, you can go be in the well's belly. You are welcome to do that, but don't swim. I wouldn't suggest it. God knows. I grew up in Oklahoma. I didn't see any, but I suspect there might be all kinds of uh, venomous snakes that like water living somewhere around it. Very much look like there could be. I wouldn't get in the water. Um, but there were people there fishing in that pond, which was interesting. But anyway, it's a neat little one-off shop. And right across the road is an abandoned, um, I believe it was kind of a trading post building, Route 66 trading post. And that's a cool photo opportunity as well. So that's what's going on in Tulsa. It was pretty, pretty cool. So anyway, not Tulsa, Katusa. From there, we're moving into Tulsa. And now I'm going to tell you, I'm not going through this whole list of crud here. Tulsa's got a crap ton of stuff that is Route 66, and I'm not going to go through all of it. I'm going to talk about what we did, okay? And it was just a small handful of things because we're rolling into Tulsa close to dark. We had dinner at a place called the Mother Road Market. This is awesome, y'all. This is a hella concept. What it is, is they took an old grocery building, a historic grocery building. I have a sign of it. I think it's from the 1930s. Huge, huge grocery building. It was like a warehouse. Gutted that dude, transformed it into Tulsa's first food hall. In addition to a carefully curated selection of dining options, the complex contains retail shops, a full-service bar, and t-shirt vending machines featuring Oklahoma-themed t-shirts. Y'all, this place is it's, it's great. It's awesome. It's so cool. Like you can go through Think of this. Think of a mall food court, but not full of creepy middle-aged dudes who shouldn't be hanging around in the food court. And, and like cool. Think of a food court as being cool. And you have this, it is upscale. It is modern day and it is so neat. You can get all kinds of different food. I don't even remember. I think I got a slice of pizza. Um, from one of the vending shops, we had ice cream from one of the shops. Like, guys, it's really neat. Go online. I, I want you guys to check, you know, when you get a chance, go online and look for the Mother Road Market in Tulsa and look at pictures. Go, You can go see pictures of it on my Instagram, instagram.com forward slash wayward son 119. Go check it out. I'd love this. Arkansas needs more of these. Everyone needs more of these. This is like a reimagined social gathering hub. This is a place for people to come, to hang out, to grab something to eat, to grab something to drink. There's this awesome outdoor area where you can go out on, say, the patio, and they have like yard game type of things in there. Um, it was a super cool vibe, man. That place was buzzing. It was popping when we were there, and it was so neat. We really loved it, and it got, it's great for some photo opportunities as well. It's a great way to end, for us, what happened. That's the way we basically ended our trip down 66 through the green country, Oklahoma's green country, with check, checking out the um, Mother Road Market, having dinner. We got us a room at a place called the Desert Hills Motel. 
I believe it was. Let me check my notes real quick. Boy, this episode's getting a little bit long, guys, but I want to do this justice. God, it's going to be a nightmare to edit. Um, But it's going to be worth it because I think this is going to be a good episode. Desert Hills Hotel. And it is... um. It's all right. It's all right. It's a great photo opportunity. They have awesome neon sign. They have the old car out front, but it is Route 66 vintage and it's Route 66 vibe. It is there from the time. And it's one of the most interesting little laid out. The rooms are like catty corner. They're laid out in like this stagger, almost stair step stagger. I've never seen anything like it. Once you're inside, it doesn't feel weird. It feels like a normal hotel room, but it looks weird when you're coming into it. Um, it, it was a decent place to stay, y'all. It's a decent place to stay tonight. At least the rooms we stayed in were clean. I saw some pretty bad reviews. I'm not going to give it a bad review. It's mid. It's mid, as the kids like to say. It's a decent place to stay. You stay in there for $66 a night. If you tell them you're traveling 66 that's a cheap room. And it was a clean, cheap room. There were no bugs. There was nothing like that. It's totally p- stayable. It's totally stayable, in my opinion. But, you know, I don't know. Everyone's got their own own level. There's a lot of Karens and Chads out there that would look at that and like be like, hey. So I'm just saying, it was clean. There were no bugs. It's got an awesome vibe. Got awesome pictures of it. And I was totally okay with it. I was good with it. So something to consider. And it's one of the only things we could really find that was vintage to the era there on that strip of 66 in East Tulsa, on the east side of Tulsa. And that's where we were stopping for the night. So that's where we ended up. And it was pretty cool. Um, other things we did while we were in Tulsa, which wasn't much, but that night we did go down the strip and we stopped and we got a lot of photos of the neon signs. And there's a meadow gold sign that is apparently extremely, extremely famous. Um, and it is an awesome photo opportunity. You want to be there after dark though. It'd be a cool picture during the day, I guess, but it would totally lose its power without the neon with the neon. This is a big freaking sign and it is impressive and it was a really cool photo op and I got some really cool photos of it and that was a lot of fun guys. That's a fun trip right there. Just that night. You're just, you're kind of at the seat of your pants like, well, what are we going to do? Let's do some things. Let's chase some of these signs down. Let's go up and down 66. Let's get out. Let's find some vantage points and let's get some pictures. So I got a whole array of pictures of route 66 things and There's also a lot of things there that were closed. We didn't get to do because we were there late and it was Sunday. But Buck Adams Cosmic Curios on 66 stopped for a selfie with Buck Adams, a 21-foot space cowboy. He arrived in 2019, but he stands tall in the proud tradition of the muffler men statues who began popping up along Route 66 businesses in the 1960s. There's a whole lot of cool stuff, y'all, that's curios of the time all through Route 66. And anytime you're in Tulsa, there's a lot of amazing things in Tulsa. There's the Philbrook, Philbrook Museum of Art. There's a whole lot of stuff. You know, this this whole thing's gonna gonna be geared towards getting you to go and see all their touristy things, because you know it's tourism. They want your money, which is fair. But for Route 66 purposes and what we experienced, the Meadow Gold sign. Ooh, here it is. Let me talk about it real quick. First installed in the 1930s, this massive neon sign advertised Meadow Gold Dairy, and it has become a Route 66 icon. When the building it rested on was set to be demolished, the community worked to save and restore the sign. Today it stands a mile west of its original location, atop a pavilion built just for it. Check out the plaques on the pavilion to learn more about the sign's history. 
super cool. So we saw the Meadow Gold sign. We got a lot of pictures or pictures of the neon down the road. We stayed at the Desert Hills Hotel, which has its its own awesome photo opportunity for Route 66 vintage vibes. And we checked out the Mother Road Market, which is modern, but on 66 and in a vintage building from 66. And it's like an awesome reimagining, again, of like an urban meeting space where everyone can just get together. If you drink, you can have a beer. You can grab a slice of pizza or some Asian food or whatever the hell you want. You can set out on the patio and you can just chill to your heart's content. It's super clean, super safe environment. It's it's a great vibe, and I want to see more of those everywhere. Let's do away with creepy mall food courts, and let's have more of those things, whatever you want to call it. Um, And other than that, the only thing we did, the last thing we did, is we tried to hunt down a couple of stamps for our book because we were coming home on Monday. Of course, it was Labor Day, but we thought maybe a few more things would be open. They were not, and so we didn't get any more stamps. But we did see one more thing, and that was the Golden Driller. And Let me see. Real quick, if you Google the Golden Driller, it's going to kick back plenty of information you can read about. Super interesting. And the info on it is, you can stop for a selfie with Tulsa's Golden Boy. The Tulsa Driller became a permanent fixture at the fairgrounds in 1966 after his predecessor drew a crowd at a trade show exhibit. He's 76 feet tall and weighs nearly 22 tons. But somehow he manages a slim waistline and shows off with a belt buckle or shows off with a belt buckle emblazoned with the word Tulsa. So anyway, you can go get a selfie with this ginormous golden driller, which is a tribute to the oil field industry, the oil workers of the time. The plaque at the bottom of it, I don't remember what it said, but I just remember reading it going, that did not age well. But anyway, it's a super cool sign, or not sign, it's a super cool fixture in Tulsa. It's a fixture on 66 that you can go check out. And I highly suggest that you do. So anyway, that was pretty much our Route 66 trip through Northeast Oklahoma. I believe we, we're we planning on trying to cobble together all the stretches of 66 before it's all said and done someday. I believe. I mean, I know I am, right? Going to cobble together all these stretches someday before it's over. Like, it's really cool. I've driven parts of it out in Arizona and New Mexico, but not, but only but once with the extent, the express written reason of it being route 66 right um so i want to go back and retrace those steps out there and do them on 66 and not just i-40 um the ones that i haven't done need to go up and i need to hit it through illinois never done any of that done some of it in missouri but anyway y'all it's the mother road there's a whole lot of it and it is a reason to get your butt outside to get out and explore because there's stuff all along that road yeah it's a travel trip it's a travel trip. That's what it is. But that's what a lot of people want. It's what a lot of people are looking for. And for me, as a historian, as an anthropologist, it is a cultural icon. It's a historical icon. And there are stories that need to be told all up and down the length of that road. And I, for one, cannot wait to go and discover them and start to tell them. We are going to wrap up this show for tonight. I know I guess that feels a little bit abrupt, but at what point do you end a show? It always feels abrupt. I don't know, but I've talked and talked and talked until now my head hurts. My eyes are a little bit weary from reading through all these things, and I'm just done talking for tonight. I hope you guys found tonight's show interesting. Like, I hope you enjoyed it, because we sure enjoyed taking the trip, and I sure enjoyed making this episode, but I always worry about the flow. 
when we get into these episodes where I need to list off a bunch of things like you can do this and you can do this. And in my brain, it gets very monotonous. And I hope that it's not that way for you guys. Write in and let me know how that works. Okay. My wayward story at gmail.com. We are going to wrap it up for the night. As I just said, actually, if you guys want to get in touch, I always love to hear from you. My wayward story at gmail.com. Or you can go over to our website, waywardstories.com. Love it when people do that. You can see everything. You can get to my Instagram. You can get to the Facebook. You can get to the Facebook group. Um, You can see my YouTube channel. Like, there's all kinds of things to find at waywardstories.com. It's kind of the nexus for this project where you can get linked out to anything you want to find. Um, And hopefully, I hope you guys will go out and rate, review, and subscribe. That helps us a lot. I've said it a million times. You guys, please leave reviews. I've gotten a few more as of recent, and they help every time. If you have a minute, go to your podcast player of choice and leave a review and a rating, whatever stars you want to leave, whatever you think we're worth. And um, yeah, I appreciate it if you guys will do that. Also, you can share these episodes on YouTube and anywhere else you want to share them. Like take this YouTube link, share it into a group on Facebook. Boy, that gets us a lot of listens, a lot of views, and I really love that. Anyway. I look forward to talking to you guys in a few weeks. Until then, you guys get out, find some adventures to get into, and don't forget to be good to each other.